0: The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It does not constitute legal or other professional advice. No one connected with this podcast can be responsible for your use of the information discussed. The views expressed are those of the podcaster and do not represent the opinions of any other person or entity. These views are subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Welcome to "Leap: Legal Issues in Policing," a podcast blending the demands of the book with the rulings from the bench through the lens of the bag. Police officers with a solid understanding of the law and their legal powers are more confident, competent, and effective. Each and every episode will examine a legal issue in policing by reviewing current Canadian criminal case law from coast to coast to coast. Be prepared to uncover a legal lesson that will improve your decision making. Now let's Leap In. Hello everyone, my name is Mike Novikoski, your podcast host, and you are listening to Leap, Legal Issues in Policing. In episode 10, titled R-E-S-P-E-C-T, Cops Top Judges, Lawyers and Lawmakers, I highlighted recent public opinion polls amongst Canadians and how they viewed police officers when compared to other actors in the legal system, like judges, lawyers and lawmakers. If you listened to that podcast, you know that police were the most respected of these four occupations. Well, the results are in for a new study. At the end of March 2023, Statistics Canada released a report using preliminary data from the survey series on people and their communities. This report, once again, shows that the police have risen to the top when it comes to the level of confidence various people groups, including groups divided across racialized lines, have in the police when compared to three other public institutions that were assessed in the report. The justice system in the courts, federal parliament, which would include those MPs assigned to cabinet positions, and the Canadian media, which often criticizes the police no matter what they do. So why was this most recent study important? Well, Stats Canada put it this way, Having a high level of confidence in the federal parliament, the justice system and courts, the police, and the Canadian media can be seen as a vital measure for assessing the health of democracy in Canada. Confidence in these institutions reflects the sense that they are safe, effective, transparent, and accountable. Before we break down the data in detail, here are the results. Canadians, regardless of their racialized group, had the most confidence in the police by far. Let me repeat that. Canadian confidence in the police, those first responders who run towards the danger not away, crushed all other institutions in the report. The courts were a distant second, followed by Parliament, and the media bottomed out in the basement. So what does the big picture say? Overall, 67% of those surveyed in this study had a high level of confidence in the police. That's more than two-thirds of Canadians. Only slightly more than half of Canadians, 51%, or 52%, depending on whether you use the number from the text or the table in the report, had high confidence in the justice system and the courts. A mere 36% of Canadians had high confidence in Parliament, those are the lawmakers, and a mere one-third of Canadians. 33% had confidence in the media. But here's a headline you won't see in the report. Canadians have more confidence in those who enforce the law than those who administer it, make it, or report on it. Now, the report breaks the numbers down by various racialized groups. These groups are described as follows. South Asian, Chinese, Black, Filipino, Arab, Latin American, Southeast Asian, West Asian, Korean, and Japanese – and other categories described as other racialized groups, multiple racialized groups, and those not belonging to a racialized group and who are not indigenous. Can you guess which racialized groups had more confidence in the police than the other public institutions? All of them. Yes, you heard me right. All of them. All of the racialized groups described and the non-racialized groups had more confidence in the police than in the justice system and the courts, parliament, and the media. All of them. But you won't find that as a headline in the report either. The groups with the most confidence in the police were Arab, West Asian, Latin American, South Asian, and Filipino. All of these groups had more confidence in the police than people who did not belong to a racialized group or were not indigenous. I also found some of the text in the report to be interesting. One headline in the report reads... Quote, Southeast Asian, Black, and Japanese people are less likely to report confidence in police. End quote. Yet all of these groups show more confidence in the police than the courts, Parliament, and the media. But you won't find those institutions headlined in a negative way. The report also says quote, Some subgroups have notably lower confidence in the police, like Southeast Asian and Black people who were born in Canada. End quote. However, When you look at the numbers, although it is true that only 32% of black people born in Canada have confidence in the police, that level of confidence is higher than the 27% of black people born in Canada that have confidence in the courts, the 24% that have confidence in Parliament, and the 21% that have confidence in the media. So even though the text of the report underscores the notably lower confidence in the police with respect to black people born in Canada, it fails to highlight the same concern with the other public institutions which have an even lower percentage of black people born in Canada having confidence in them. The same goes for the point that Southeast Asians born in Canada have a notably lower confidence level in the police at 45%. Although 45% is a low number and definitely offers room for much-needed improvement, only 39% of Southeast Asians have confidence in the courts, 30% in Parliament, and 25% in the media. So even though the text of the report underscores the notably lower confidence in the police with respect to Southeast Asians born in Canada, it fails to highlight the same concern with the other public institutions, which all have an even lower percentage of Southeast Asians born in Canada having confidence in them. But that's not all. Every people group born in Canada had the highest confidence in the police compared to the other institutions. And every people group of established immigrants, those in Canada for more than 10 years, also had the highest confidence in the police. And every people group of recent immigrants, those in Canada for 10 years or less, had the highest confidence in the police, except for three. Two groups, recent South Asian immigrants and recent multiple racialized group immigrants, had the same level of confidence in the police as they did in the courts, while recent black immigrants had 1% more confidence in the courts than in the police. 65% confidence in the police compared to 66% confidence in the courts. This overwhelming confidence displayed for the police among the racialized subgroups wasn't highlighted in the text of the report. But if you look at the tables and mine the data for yourself, you'll see it. How did the media report on all of this? There wasn't a lot of reporting that I could find. No surprise there. Why would the media want to report on a report that showed Canadians had the least confidence in them of all the institutions surveyed? Why would the media, those who so often criticize the police, want to inform their readers, viewers, and listeners that the police outperformed them in the confidence scale? One CTV headline read, Recent immigrants more likely to have confidence in Parliament and Canadian media. What would you think by reading that headline? Would you think that recent immigrants were more likely to have confidence in Parliament and the Canadian media than they did in the other institutions like the police? If you did, such an assumption would be wrong. What they should have said is that recent immigrants have more confidence in the media than established immigrants or people born in Canada have in the media. In other words, people born in Canada and established immigrants, those in Canada for more than 10 years, have less confidence in the media than recent immigrants do in the media. So what can we learn from all of this? Canadians are much more confident in the police than the other institutions mentioned. Policing as an institution is pushing a 70% high confidence rating among Canadians. That is great. These results, no doubt, as Stats Canada itself suggests, reflect the sense that policing as an institution is safe, effective, transparent, and accountable, which impacts the health of democracy in Canada. By comparison with our southern neighbor, according to a 2022 Gallup poll, only 45% of Americans had a great deal or quite a lot of confidence in the police. This too was higher than the confidence Americans displayed in their criminal justice system, the media, whether it be newspapers or television news, and their federal politicians, those in Congress. However, just because Canadian police outscore the courts, parliament, and the media does not mean there is no need for improvement. Far from it. The police should and must make efforts to improve the confidence people have in them, regardless of the racial group they do or do not belong to. From my experience, with my many years of policing, I know this is something police pay attention to. They want the trust and confidence of the people they serve. They are always looking for ways to bridge the gaps among the diverse groups they police. But this involves more than adopting strategies related to increasing and maintaining diversity within the police force. It is more than targeted recruitment activities to attract underrepresented groups. This is important. But what can you, as a street cop, do? Each time you interact with a person whether it be a victim, a witness, a suspect, or just a casual encounter with a passerby, you should do your best to demonstrate caring, compassion, and concern. I'm not suggesting that people are not to be held accountable for what they do. I don't mean you hold hands with a crook and sing kumbaya. You can be firm, but fair. You can be tough, but thoughtful. You can be reasonable and respectful. You need to manage the perception others have of you. Don't be a prick. What does that mean? A prick is defined as a spiteful or contemptible person often having some authority. A mean or unkind person. A jerk. Don't be one. As the old expression goes, you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. Most often, a person can be more effective by being polite, courteous, and considerate than by being hostile, rude, or showing an arrogant lack of respect. The way officers interact with people and how the characteristics of those interactions shape the public's view of the police is crucial and cannot be ignored. Consider this Yale Law School example. Quote, a driver is stopped by a police officer. What determines the driver's perception of this experience? Extensive research has shown that the driver's perception of the quality of this encounter depends less on its outcome, that is, on whether they have received a ticket or not, and more on whether they felt treated in a procedurally just way. Individuals' perceptions of procedurally just encounters are based on four central features of their interactions with legal authorities. Number one, whether they were treated with dignity and respect. Number two, whether they were given voice. Number three, whether the decision maker was neutral and transparent. And number four, whether the decision maker conveyed trustworthy motives. For decades, our research has demonstrated that procedural justice is critical for building trust and increasing the legitimacy of law enforcement authorities within communities. As such, it has paramount implications for both public safety and officer efficacy. While highly publicized abuses of authority by police officers fuel distrust and erode legitimacy, less publicized, day-to-day interactions between community members and law enforcement are also influential in shaping people's long-term attitudes toward the police." Now, giving someone voice simply means you provide the person with a chance to tell their side of the story. It doesn't mean you are going to do what they say or buy what they are telling or selling you, but it allows them to be seen as participating in your decision-making process. We also know, however, at least with an arrestee, the opportunity for them to provide their voice, their side of the story, is often muted by defense counsel. It's no secret that lawyers will tell their clients not to cooperate with a police interview. They will encourage their clients to exercise their right to silence. So you may not hear their voice, but that is their choice, not yours. Short of legitimate forms of persuasion to talk to you, you must respect an arrestee's right to silence. Now, you cannot control what happens halfway across Canada from where you work, or even a colleague working across town for that matter, but you can control what you do. Let me share a quick story. Many years ago, when I was a young officer, I responded to a report of a male acting violently and damaging property at a convenience store attached to a gas station. Upon my arrival, I found a shirtless male in his early 20s. He was whacked out on drugs. Cocaine, as I later learned. He was turbocharged. He was aggressive, confrontational, non-compliant. I didn't have a taser back then, nor OC spray, nor beanbag rounds. I had two choices to gain control of this individual in order to arrest him. My handgun, which was on my hip, or simply go hands-on with him. Unfortunately, my 26-inch hickory baton was in my patrol car. So hands-on it was. After an intense struggle with the man, I was able to apply the handcuffs behind his back. I know those of you who are cops will know these types of individuals. Not receptive at all to de-escalation or as we called it back then, calming or talking the person down. But I had to act and act fast. I didn't want this person to harm anyone, including himself. So as he sat on the back seat of my patrol car with his legs outside the car, my next move was to get him all the way into the car so I could close the door. So I lifted his legs off the ground and slid him into the car along the back seat. Now for a little theater of the mind. As I was about to close the door, he hawked a loogie, launched a lump of phlegm, expectorated a big booger, spat a snotsicle right at my face. It struck me in the forehead and was hanging off it like a string of spaghetti. You get the picture. I closed the door of the police car, drove him to the police station and booked him into cells. He was charged with mischief for the damage he had caused prior to my arrival and assaulting a peace officer for spitting at and striking me with a mass of his mucus. Not much to it. So when this went to trial, his lawyer approached me in the hallway of the courthouse. He offered me a deal. He said, "This. How about we let you spit in my client's face, and we'll call it even?" Of course, I said no. I wasn't about to stoop to his client's level. Why would I want to treat his client the way I didn't like to be treated? I believe, and still believe, everyone needs to be treated with dignity, as hard as that may be sometimes. If we can ground what we do in the belief that everyone has intrinsic value, then we can separate their abusive actions from their essential, inherent. Humanity. Something we must not ignore. I thought the lawyer's offer was preposterous. So then we go into the courtroom and stand before the judge. The lawyer pled guilty on his client's behalf and even brought up the deal he proposed. He said, I offered the officer the opportunity to spit in my client's face. But he wisely declined. I don't know if the lawyer was serious or just trying to be funny, but I will never forget what the judge said. He was older, grey-haired, had narrow glasses on the end of his nose, He peered over his glasses and said this, 15 or 20 years ago, this fine young constable would have dragged you down the alley and laid the boots to you. That is what once was called street justice, but that can't be done anymore. Now, I was stunned at what the judge said. 15 to 20 years earlier was pre-charter. But charter or no charter, video or no video, what the judge suggested was something I never considered. I don't know why the judge would say that, but he did. Did I enjoy getting spit on? Of course not. Was I choked about being spit on? Of course I was. But doing what the judge spoke of would have been wrong and contrary to everything I stood for. Not to mention illegal, unethical, immoral and downright criminal. I wasn't going to let my emotions hijack my decision making process. One thing I learned many years ago was to do my best to take the high road. There seems to be less traffic up there. As a final thought, I want to leave you with this. Last month, I had the pleasure of attending a sold-out Canadian Bar Association criminal justice conference. It was billed as an opportunity for insight from some of the country's foremost criminal law experts. At the end of the conference, there was a segment called Ask the Judge Anything. This session was described as a free-for-all where the audience asks a panel of trial and appellate judges any question on any area of the law. So I did ask a question, actually more than one. But one question was related to the Stats Canada study I just reviewed. Here is the question I asked. Quote, Stats StatsCan reported Canadians have a higher level of confidence in police than the courts. What can judges do to increase the court's standing as an institution? End quote. What do you think the response was? Well, my takeaway from the answer I got to my question was the public doesn't know or understand enough about what judges do. I heard judges do a lot of hard work and the public doesn't see it or know about it. Part of the suggested solution would be better communication with the public about what it is judges do. I suppose that is one plausible explanation for the lack of confidence in the courts. But it wasn't exactly what I was thinking. My thoughts were more along the line that the public does know what judges do, but many don't have confidence in what they do. Maybe the public is more concerned about the outcome they see from a judge's decision rather than the process and the hard work that goes into it. The Cambridge Dictionary defines confidence as trust in someone's ability or a belief that something will produce good results. Merriam-Webster defines it as faith or belief that one will act in a right, proper, effective way. What may or may not amount to good results or be seen as effective will often depend on a person's opinion of the outcome of a process. Maybe, just maybe, many Canadians don't see what the justice system and the courts consider as just to be just. If you are interested in the StatsCan report, a link to it is provided in the episode notes. As well, you'll find a link to the Yale Law School information on procedural justice. If you think this podcast would interest others, please share it. And if you have a topic you would like discussed in a future episode, you can email me at LegalIssuesInPolicing at gmail.com. That's LegalIssuesInPolicing at gmail.com. Or maybe you feel like providing me with some feedback. Either way, I would love to hear from you. And remember, be careful what you practice. You might get good at it. Be smart and stay safe.